This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Open up in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. We will continue this teaching on biblical examples of redemption. We haven't gotten to the biblical examples yet. We will get there. Uh, maybe not tonight, but we will get there. But the subtitle of this is God is a Redeeming God. And the whole goal of this, I've said it before, I will say it again. The whole goal of this is so that you might know who God is. That you know that God is a Redeeming God. Because that is who God is. And in the midst of this, we have been spending a little time talking about what it means to be redeemed or the definition of redemption. And remember, the motivation of this is God's love. It is God's love. And as we study this more and more, as we go through this more and more, it should become more and more obvious to you that you are glad that it is God's love that is the motivator. And not the love of man. But it is God's love that is the motivation behind this teaching. In other words, because he loves, he's a redeeming God. And who does he love? Well, he loves them that are lost. We, at one point in time, no matter who we are, have been lost. And I'm not talking naturally. I'm talking about in our very souls. We all have been lost. So if you sit up here and get offended by the idea that you're lost, well, join the club. We've all been lost at one point in time or another. But understand this. Some people are lost and they know it. And they don't like where they are. And they want the help. You need to know. God is a redeeming God. There are others who are lost. And I'll say, either don't know it or are afraid to admit it. And so they deny the help that is there. But one day, I guarantee you, <laughs> the lost will find themselves, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually you will find yourself somewhere you did not intend to go. You will find yourself involved with things that you said you would never be involved with. And you'll get to a point of, how did I get here? Because this is not where I started out going. In that time, you'll need to remember, God's a redeeming God. And still there are others who were lost. But have been found. Get it straight. We didn't find God. God went on a mission to find us. And God, being a redeeming God, we just responded. And, and I tell you, who may have been those who were lost but now have been found, don't forget where you came from. So you don't go back there. And then there are others who 
will always stay in that attitude of remembering that if it were not for the Lord on my side. And things like this never get old. They rejoice to hear that God is a redeeming God. They've heard it before. And even though they've heard it before, it still brings... Somebody says it's never as good as the first time, but it still, still feels so fresh like it is the first time. <laughs> but it's all because of His love. And it was, and it is, the love of God. So don't get bent out of shape about the idea of being lost. The best thing to do is, if you're going to be lost, know it. So that when help comes, you can receive it. And the good thing about God being a redeeming God is you are not dependent on how far man can take you. Because man can only take you so far. But when God redeems, you redeem. So in the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, We've come out of this passage of Scripture, starting in verse number 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And this gets me, every time you know you read scripture, it seems like you've read it before, but the thing that gets me about this is that he is a Pharisee, and he's a member of the group that is not on Jesus' side. And he says, he admits to Jesus that, yeah, we know, I don't care what they say, we know, you come from God. We're convinced in that. But the miracles you do, uh-uh, it's God. Nobody but God. God's finger is on you. And then it says in verse 3, Jesus answered. He had an answer for this man. He didn't even ask a question. But Jesus answered, responded, and said unto him, Verily, verily, this is what you need to know. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, I love that. Oh, I do love that. He, he says, yeah, you see the miracles. But you can't see the kingdom of God from where you stand. If you're not born again, you might witness the miracles. You might see the hand of God, but you will not know the hand of God for yourself. And I emphasize this over and over and over again. This is Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee. He is, as the Bible calls him, a ruler of the Jews. As Jesus goes on to call him later, he's a master of the Jews. To us, that would be equal to somebody who's in church all the time. Somebody who's behind the pulpit. It'll equate to somebody we look to and expect to have the answers for us. Somebody who can quote scriptures. Someone who's been in and around the church for a long time. And all that's well and good. All that is fine and dandy. But while everybody gets touched, while everybody knows the hand of God for themselves, 
All you can do is, I know God is there. But Jesus answers and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be born again, all you will do is witness everybody else's miracles. But you'll never have a touch from God as it pertains to His kingdom. And so when I minister this, and I give this, I know some people who've been in and around the church for a long time, yeah, this is for somebody else. No, this is for you. I like how Paul says in, at the end of his epistle to the Corinthians, you know, examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith. In another passage of Scripture, he says, Wherefore let him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And it's very possible we get so accustomed to being in and around the church that, that we just pass over the Scripture, we read the Scripture, and we read it time and time again, but it never does dawn on us he might, we might be the Nicodemus. And I do believe this. I, I, I can't say this for certainty, but uh, according to Nicodemus' actions, uh, trust me, when, he, when the door was open for being born again, I believe he took it. He wasn't too proud to turn down what God had for him. Because remember, this is a New Testament experience. The Old Testament saints did not have the opportunity to be born again. Now, this is Bible study, and I'll, I'll say this, and I'll keep moving on. Yeah, they weren't born again, but they were saved. There is a difference. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we, in this day, remember we talked about days. God is not restricted to a 24-hour period of time. When he says day, he's speaking on his terms. He's, he's talking about a period of time. He can work in a day if he wants to. He can work in a week if he wants to. He can take months if he wants to. He can take years if he wants to. He can take more than your lifetime if he wants to. But he has appointed a day, this day, that the doors, I'll, I'll put it in the, I think it's the old Baptist terminology, where the doors of his church are open. And you can be born again, but trust me, you don't have all time. You don't have all time. This, this is a special opportunity that God extends to you. And why does He extend it to you? Because you're lost and He loves. And he wants you to know He's a redeeming God. So Jesus lays it out for Nicodemus. Yeah, I don't care what you've done in the church. I don't care how active you've been. I don't care what kind of auxiliaries or what kind of groups. I don't care what you've done. You may have gone out witnessing with them. But unless you're born again, you won't be able to experience it. That's what it means to see the kingdom. You won't be able to experience the kingdom for yourself. So we ask this question. What does it mean to be born again? Well, first of all, let me make sure I, I say this because I think I made mention of this last week and I want to make sure that it is plain. When a person is born again, you have an experience with God that maybe everybody else around you doesn't. Okay. And it's a personal thing between you and God. When you are born again, you become right with God. God is all right with you. But, man being poisoned by sin has poisoned this earth. And when we see I'll call them what we call natural disasters. 
we see stuff like this present pandemic that is hitting this whole world, not just a block. Uh, trust me, it is not, how do I say this? It's not because our sin is so bad. Our sin has been bad. Okay? Uh, you will hear some teachers that stand behind pulpits say, well, because this city was in sin, that's why this hurricane come. No, this hurricane came because this world has been polluted. This world has been tainted. And because of that, these things still happen. The world has not been redeemed, but you can be. And so once you are redeemed, once you are born again, the world is going to be the world. Because this world has been polluted. This world has been tainted. And until God comes, it's going to be like this. But the only reason He has not come is because He's a redeeming God. Because if He were to come, then you're sealed in your lost condition if you are lost. But He has given time. And in that time, while you see all these disasters going on, you're saying, why, God, why? He's saying, I'm giving time for you. And I'm just so glad He waited for me. I'm so glad He waited for me. You know, you have some people who will wait so long. I was supposed to meet you here at 7 o'clock. Now it's 7.15. 15 minute rule. I'm gone. But here's God. He outpatients us all. Just to think. If He had closed the door of this opportunity right before I had said, I receive. But He didn't. God is so good. So we say, what does it mean to be born again? I, I just want to make sure that that is clear as it pertains to the natural disasters that go on in this earth because sometimes we can confuse people. Remember how I started this teaching all together. I want to make sure that we don't miss anybody because we always assume that we can just talk like we're uh, uh, taking up a conversation that we've been having in the midst of the church. But thank God, God is still in the redeeming business and there are people who are coming to the table who have never been at the table before wanting to hear the truth. And so I want to make sure that it's plain and it's clear. There's no confusion there. But we did ask the question, what does it mean to be born again? We said, first of all, it means that God is good. And I, I'm trying to relate this back to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is saying, yeah, 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 uh, God must be with you because of the miracles. But he didn't know God was good. See, once you are born again, yeah, you, you can see from afar before you're born again, like, man, God is good to that person. God is good to that person. Yeah, but that's you just witnessing it. But once you are born again and you are right with God, and here's, I, I can't explain it, people. I really can't explain it. But once you are born again, it's right. And you knew it was wrong before. And it feels so good to have God on your side. There's a peace. See, that's the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You thought you knew joy. 
But after you're born again, then you know it. You thought you had a, an experience with peace before. No, you didn't know peace until you had peace with God. Same thing as far as God being good. Yeah, you can see, you know what? Look at that. That was good for that person. That was good for that person. But once His love has entered your heart, then you will know. And it will become a different term. We can sit up here in church as a congregation and say all together, God is good. But there is a different expression for those who are born again. Now, many a Christian will say it. You know, I, I keep going back here and I'm sorry that I, I keep harping on this because I want to make sure this is clear. There needs to be a difference between the born again believer and those who call themselves Christian. There have been too many people associated with church, doing things in the church, but yet have not had an experience with God. And they call themselves Christians, but they need to be born again. Again, all that stuff is fine and dandy. All that stuff is well and good. But you must be born again. I say this to every child of any born again believer. Uh, Just because mama and daddy are born again doesn't mean that you've got an end with God. Doesn't mean that you got a pass with God. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus, I don't care what you've done in the church. I don't care how long you've been in the way. I don't care if you grew up there. Unless you're born again, it means nothing. And then you'll know. God is good. We said not only does it mean God is good, it means it literally means to be born from above. And I don't know how else to say this and, and receive it as it is given. But if you will, we got his stuff. Not that we're God, but now we are members of his family. Hmm. And again, I've got to make sure that that's clear. See, some people have traveled too far with that idea, thinking, oh, we got God's DNA, so we are little gods. No. You're no God at all. You're the benefactor of his redeeming love. And now you're a member of his family. It means God is good. It literally means to be born from above. It means to be regenerated. And understand this about being born again. It's not one of these things. It's, it comes with all of these things. It comes with all of these things. It, it comes with being a member of his family. It comes with being uh, uh, regenerated. That's why it's called the new birth. It comes with being washed on the inside. It comes with being justified. And justification is a marvelous word. It's a mighty word. It's stronger than forgiveness. It's stronger than forgiveness. There was recently an execution that took place. And in this execution, I read that the victim's family were against the execution. They were not for it at all. Now, I don't know if they weren't for it because they had forgiven the individual. But even if they had, and that individual had not been executed, it still would have been on that individual's record. 
wow. And you know, when it's on your record, it, it keeps you from having the full benefits of a free citizen. But when you're born again, you're not only forgiven, you're justified. Your record is wiped clean with God. Which means God is not holding what you did prior to his redeeming you against you. Glory to God. How great is this redemption? That he not only forgives you, he justifies you. And he's saying, yeah, if you bring it up, it's because you bring it up. But I've wiped your slate clean. Being born again comes with being saved. And then being born again comes with being redeemed. So it comes with all of that. It comes with the regeneration. It comes with the washing. It comes with the justification. It comes with the salvation. It comes with the redemption. It's all included in the born again experience. And so we said to be redeemed means to be restored. And we use that term Restore because man, talking mankind, had a position with God that man left. And God wants man where he originally intended man to be. So we said redeem means to restore. Now, some people might define it in other ways. Uh, one of the ways that it is defined is paid to secure the release of, but I like to think of it in terms of this. God, and you'll see it as we go forward today, but, but God is restoring. That's what he's doing with mankind through the work of redemption. He is restoring. So by redeeming man, God is restoring man to the place he originally intended. And pay attention to this terminology. Again, as we go forward, by redeeming man, God, God is redeeming man, and God is restoring man in this redemption to the place God originally intended for man. Now let's jump here on Psalms 106. I want to read this again. This is in reference to God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. And it is for us an example, if you will, of why redemption is necessary. Psalm 106. Again, starting at verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. I'm sorry, but this is why God is good. Because when your name is no good, his name is still good. What, do you understand that? In other words, when he makes a promise to redeem, no matter how crazy you act, he's still a redeeming God. Because if it depended on your name's sake, you'd be shut out. So as wild and as crazy as they acted, in verse 7, verse 8, nevertheless he saved them for his name's sake. That he 
might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Now remember this. They needed redemption because they were in bondage. So God did not want those that he loved maintained in bondage. So he redeemed them out of bondage, the bondage that was in Egypt. Man's bondage today is sin. Man is bound in sin. And God does not want those that he loves bound in sin. So he, being a redeeming God, wants to make his redeeming power made known for his name's sake. He wants to lead you. Think about this. This is... And he saved them. Verse 10. He saved them from the hand of him that hated them. I'm sorry, verse 9. He rebuked the Red Sea also. And it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He led them. He led them. This is what I mean when I say that in the born again experience, there is, yeah, you're not in heaven, but you get a taste of heaven here on earth. Because God then guides and leads and takes you if you let him. And to me, those are tender words. Those aren't harsh words. I don't know if you see it like I see it, but those are tender words. Those are words of endearment, terms of endearment, terms of care. These people just got through acting a fool on him. And in spite of their acting a fool, he saved them, and then he treated them so kindly. What a God. But that's us. That's an example for us. And that when God redeems us, oh, then He's... We're born from above. Like a father, He leads us. As a father will lead His own children. And I'm telling you, there's safety there when God is leading you. So redemption only became necessary because of man being in bondage to sin. Now, back to John chapter 3. So we were talking about this term, redemption is of God. I presented to you this term, redemption is of God. And we looked at John 3, verse 16. Which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now the key here is that God loves. And the question we ask is God loved who? Well he says right here, God loved the world. Then we ask who is the world? And make sure you understand this. The world are those that hate you and those whom you hate. All of that is the world. You know, the world are those convicted criminals who are guilty and every free man that's walking out of society. That's the world. The world includes 
and make this plain to you, the world includes the LGBTQ plus community. That's the world. They're included in the world. In other words, there's no one outside of God's care. He cares for them all. Now, understand this. When I say that, it does not mean that he's all right with actions. But he loves the people. And I believe we can relate to that. I believe we've had our experiences with others whom we love, but they're not doing things that we love. But what they do actually hurts us because we love them. And so God loves the world. I want to make sure you understand that. This is the love of God. This is not the love of man. Because while man will seek to divide, God's like, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what your backstory is. I don't care how evil the act of sin. I want my children back home. That, to me, is remarkable. The world includes those who have cursed God. And here's man. Curse us to our face and see if we have anything to do with you after that. See, see here's the statement. Redemption is of God. <laughs> and I'm so glad it is. You see, because when we look at the world, there's somebody we want to keep out. But there's not anybody God is trying to keep out. Was it 120 years in the times of Noah? And I believe many of them cursed God. But He still gave them 120 years. That's love. And it's not man's love. It's God's love. And I say this to this end. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you have been. Because sometimes we... It's like you have a run of bad days, you just give up on ever having a good day. And sometimes you've just been in that bad behavior for so long, you think there's no hope for you, but the love of God is there. Man has said there's no hope for you. Man has said that you are hopeless, but the love of God, not the love of man, is what's behind redemption. And God's willing to redeem you. So what do I mean by redemption is of God? I said three things. One, I said redemption is on God's standard and not man's. By this we mean that man makes up standards just to keep somebody out. Man makes up standards because there's somebody he doesn't like. Or they do something he doesn't like. Or they look like he's... You know, I mentioned this last time. It, it's, it's, it's damnable. Can I use that word? I didn't curse. But it is damnable for there to be division in the church. And where does division come from? Because we establish our standards and then hold our fellow members in the body of Christ to our standard. Do you hear me? Listen to this. You know, this is not AMC, but I'm going to go here. You can have people start dividing because 
I'm somebody in the church. I'm a department head in the church. I lead this in the church and you don't. That's just building our own standards. As if because I have a title that somebody calls me by, I'm any different than anybody else. No, you were lost. And if it had not been for the Lord on your side waiting for you, where would you be? We're all of the same. Because here's one of the things that gets me. I'm a black man. If you didn't know, now you know. But here's one of the things that gets me about my people. And again, this is, I'm just talking about me. What do you mean when you say somebody's not black enough? You're going to tell me I have hard enough in this country. <laughs> Being who I am, then I come to my own people, and you got division set up. That's why I'm so glad redemption is on God's standard and not man's. That's why it's so good for me when I hear the term that redemption is of God. (laughs) I love it. See, someone is trying to keep you out and God's like, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. You know what God's standard is? Righteousness. And you know about God's standard? We all fall short. We all have failed. None of us measure up. Amen. That's, that's, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what your mama and daddy did. I don't care what their mama and daddy did. I don't care what blood flows through your vein. You fell short. And in spite of you falling short, He still loves you. What do I mean by redemption is of God? I mean redemption is on God's standard and not man's. What do I mean by redemption is of God? It means that God alone redeems. He alone redeems. And I like this. We said this means your redemption is not in the determinate hands of man. Man does not get to determine your fitness for redemption. (laughs) It's God alone who restores man from sin to right standing with him. Amen. Glory. He alone redeems. Look at this in chapter 6. I think we mentioned this earlier. I want you to see this again. Not earlier, but last week. John chapter 6, verse 20. Oh, I'm in 5. John chapter 6, verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God. Do you hear the people's cry here? They're saying, what do we need to do to make sure that God is right with us and we're right with God? That's their question. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Understand the question and understand the answer. They're asking, what do we need to put our hands to? What do we need to get involved in? 
What do we need to do? What action must we take? We've tried so many different actions, but we still don't seem to be in right position with God. We're not confident. How do we get right with God? How do we get on His good side? What do we need to put our hands to? Jesus says, believe, which is no work at all. In other words, that's the problem. See, your hands can only do so much and it can't reach that high. So if you're going to be redeemed, it's got to be by God and by Him alone and He doesn't need your help. Again, remember, man cannot redeem. Now, man does have a responsibility to share the truth of how he was redeemed. But if any redemption takes place, it's not man, it's God. Himself doing it. That's what we call grace. That's grace. Here's grace. Not that I did anything to make God accept me. I just believed and God accepted me when I believed. That's grace. (laughs) In grace, there's the absence of your effort. That's just too easy. That's just too, it sounds like God wants you to be redeemed. That's what it sounds like. Because that is the case. So God doesn't need an assist. He redeems himself. He redeems by himself, that is. And then, we didn't get a chance to get to this, but we'll get to this today. What do I mean by redemption is of God? Number three. The person of redemption is God himself through Jesus Christ. Now think about this now. I'm making a bold claim to you. Redemption is not just an act of God. Redemption is a person, God himself, through Jesus Christ. So what do I mean by redemption is of God? I mean the person of redemption is is God Himself through Jesus Christ. And you'll see, there must be a person involved. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now those of you who don't know me, you know, you really can't get me excited about much, but bring up the Word. Bring up the sound Word. Bring up the sound doctrine. You don't know how excited I get. Because in it, I hear the goodness of God. And there's nothing like His goodness. There's nothing like His kindness. There's nothing like His love. It never ceases to amaze me. See, He is amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. Just when you think, oh God, you can't do anything more to amaze me. Then He just does what He does. You're like, man, that still amazes me. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's, it's fresh all over again. See, let me, let me keep it. I want to take my time. But here's the thing about him loving the world. We all fell short of his standard. And so he must establish, if he loves the world, something that includes everybody and can't possibly exclude anybody. So he decided to do it through grace. And I don't want to get too deep in this. And so that's why he didn't do it by the law. 
Because they didn't give everybody the law. <laughs> and if he only did it for those he gave the law to, then he couldn't redeem the world. See, I'm sorry, I know that sounds simple to you, but that never ceases to amaze me. He did it on purpose so everybody could be included. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, the person of redemption is God himself through Jesus Christ. Verse, well, it's hard to read verse 19. Let's read verse 18 into 19. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. Now, I want to make sure that you don't miss these pronouns. Because these pronouns are very important. <laughs> See, because it's God who redeems us. And it says, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. God has reconciled us to himself. We didn't do it. He reconciled us to himself. And how did he do it? He did it by Jesus Christ. And hath given unto us, or given to us, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he's saying, we've been reconciled by the hand of God, and we didn't work for it. Now we're responsible to let others know, be reconciled. Verse 18, verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Because even in church, we can, we can get the attitude of looking down on people. Think, oh man, you're never going to be born again. You're never going to get it together. You're hopeless. Too many, too many chances, too many opportunities. But God was in Christ. <laughs> Reconciling who? The world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Wiping their slate clean. And hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, you know, get this. God in Christ reconciles the world back to himself. And the world gets me. I'm telling you, you have run across people, you just like, you know what? I don't want to talk to you. I want to look at you. I want to think about you. But they're in God's thoughts. They're in God's mind. And they were in his mind... Before they ever did the act, he knew they were going to do that was so despicable in our eyes. And he had predetermined, here we go, now we're going to talk about predestination. He had predetermined a plan to open up an opportunity for the world to be redeemed. That's predestination. Predestination is not him choosing some while refusing others, while saying only you can be saved and you're, no, you're never going to be. No, he opened up an opportunity for everybody. He had a predetermined plan. He had a person. And he in this person would work reconciliation. Reconciliation. Let's look at that term. I believe we are familiar with that term on some, some level. When we talk reconciliation, why are we talking reconciliation? Something's broken. And what is broken is not a toy. It's not an electronic device. 
It's not some mechanical device. It's a relationship. So something that was together and on good terms has now been interrupted. And because it's interrupted, if it is going to be repaired, there must be reconciliation. So if there's a need for reconciliation, or if reconciliation happened, there must have been something that was broken beforehand. And what was broken was our place, our position with God. Now here's what we think of when we think reconciliation on our terms, on our level, on man's terms. When we have somebody that we have some kind of relationship with, even on a business end. You know, the news today was some athlete who didn't come to an agreement with a team. So they had a relationship, but now that relationship has been interrupted somehow, been broken somehow because of a contract. And when we think reconciliation, we think, well, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. You won't get out everything you want. I won't get everything I want. But because we want this relationship to work, I'll bend a little, you bend a little, and we'll meet there. And so we have to give up on our standards to meet in reconciliation. But I will have you know this. God's not changing his standard for nobody. But get this. But he was reconciling. Oh, I'm, I'm, this, this, this is getting... I'm telling you, this is amazing. Here it is. He's not changing his standard. And we're not coming to him to meet him. What in the world is he going to do? Why is our relationship with God broken? <laughs> Amen. Why? You know, here we, here we are, husband and wife, all right? Husband and wife. I'll even go boyfriend and girlfriend. You can understand this stuff. <laughs> so, you have a little tip between the two of you, and then you want to reconcile, and what do you say? Well, uh, I'll say I'm sorry if you say you're sorry. <laughs> In other words, somebody's got to admit wrong. If I'm going to admit wrong, you're going to admit wrong too. And then we can reconcile because I don't want to be wrong on my own. <laughs> and I don't want you to have this as a, as a tool against me in the future. So let's both apologize. But in this relationship, let me tell you, God don't do wrong. <laughs> he can't. If he did wrong, he wouldn't be God. So we have done wrong. What did we do wrong? We followed sin Instead of God. And so God, from his position of righteousness, he can't compromise with sin. And remember this. It's us who walked out on God. <laughs> we chose sin over his righteousness. That severed the relationship between God and mankind. But God's not compromising his standards. But nonetheless, we read, God was in Christ, reconciling the world back to himself. So God's not compromising his standard. This means I 
how do I say this? You've read in the scripture, you've heard it stated that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Can I put it to you in today's vernacular? Somebody's got to pay. Sin separates us and God, but somebody's got to pay. God's just not forgiving to forgive and forgetting sin. Somebody's got to pay. And understand this. Know this about God. God, the redeeming God, is a righteous God. Which means he's a righteous judge. So that scripture when it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That is his statement of righteousness. And we know what right is. Let's say you had a loved one. Someone that was dear to you. I don't mean someone you like, someone you love. Someone who you'd be tore up if something happened to them. And let's say they get violated somehow, some way, some shape, some form. They get violated. The person you love gets violated. And you know who did it. And not only do you know, you know the police know. And it's not a question of, we're not sure. Everybody knows they did it. And if those police do nothing to the perpetrator, that ain't right. So God is more righteous than even the police. He knows the violators. And there must be, somebody's got to pay. So here is God doing the reconciling. He is not compromising his standard, but yet reconciling himself to you while requiring a payment for that which was wrong. So now we need a person. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God alone. There's no one else. Let me, let me tell you this about Jesus, okay? When we read in 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's him declaring, I'm in Christ. See, because somebody's got to pay, but I'm going to be reconciled. Uh, do you hear it? Again, it never gets old to me. It just never does. Do you hear the scripture speak to you? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was God's pleasure. Remember we said it's God's design. It's God's work. It's God's desire to redeem. It pleased the Lord to give up His Son that we might be reconciled. And not only that, get this, we weren't looking for reconciliation. Do y'all get that? Do you understand that? We weren't looking for it. We weren't trying to get back together with God. 
We thought we were fine where we were. We liked our lost condition. We didn't mean to be here, but we're here. Let's enjoy it. God's like, no, no, that's not life. There's much better that I have in store for you. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. What does it mean to be born again? It means God's good. chapter 1 this is God dealing with a sinful nation I'll say it that way God is dealing with a sinful religious nation and in his dealing with the sinful religious nation he lets them know what has severed their relationship he lets them know that it is their sin and their sinful activity that has severed the relationship between him and this nation. Look at this in verse 18. Now, now remember this. God did not do anything wrong. They did it wrong. But hear the voice of the redeeming God. He talks to them and says, Come now and let us reason together. Uh, Do you hear? Now it's God calling for reconciliation. They weren't calling for it. He's calling for it. He initiates it. What a God. What a wonderful God. What a marvelous God. We do everything wrong. And and who do we do wrong against? We do wrong against Him. We don't like when somebody doesn't say hello to us. You didn't say hello to me. You must not. You know. Here it is. They sin upon sin upon sin. And God, who's been sinned against, God is the victim here. He says, let's reconcile. Come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins, the thing that's separating us, be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Do you hear him saying, if we're going to reconcile, we've got to deal with the sin thing. I referenced it earlier in this teaching. I'll say it again. For those who are redeemed, it means something to say that God first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. You don't know how ugly, how nasty we were to God. Again, just relate this to how we relate to one another. The people we love, you didn't buy me a gift this year. We start thinking crossways about them. And they, they just did something that really was kind of innocent, right? They didn't curse us. They didn't deny us. That's what we did to God. And God, who probably had every right in our minds to turn away, but for His name's sake, aren't you glad that that's His name? 
That's why we call that name so marvelous. That's why we call that name so holy. There's no name like the name of Jehovah. Hallelujah. You know, I'm running out of time and I don't know how slow I go. I really don't. But I want to make sure people understand this. There is an episode in the Old Testament where it's remarkable because God calls out the nation of Israel for their foolishness. And he talks to Moses, who he appointed to lead them. And he tells Moses, you know what, Moses? These ten times. See, that gets me. God counted. That's how irritated God was. That's how irritating the people were to God. Moses, these ten times, they tempted me. You know what? I'm through with them. I'm not going to take care of them anymore. I'm done with redeeming in them. But Moses says, no, God, you can't do that. And God says, Moses, you're right. Now, here's the thing about it. God knew what Moses was saying. God gave us that episode that we might have insight into his character. To what kind of God he is. He did it to show us that's how we are to him. But in spite of that, see, this is why God is good. In spite of our unfaithfulness, his faithfulness remains. He will not turn his back on his word. He has sealed it in his word. And then he placed his word even above his name. That we might know he's a redeeming God. Oh, I'm so out of time. I, I can't go on. I can't go any further. You know, I thought this would take me ten minutes. You know, right? It's... it's <laughs> it's not the game, it's the player. You know, I, I'm just I'm not playing the game right, am I? But in all seriousness, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day where the fullness of the goodness of the redeeming God is made available to the world. And the thing about the world is that there are some people out there. I like how Jesus said it. Jesus said, now, 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 if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. So I'm not talking to you who think you're all well. I'm talking to you who are tore up from the floor, who are tired of being tired, who are through with being through, who people have turned their back on, who people have given up on. God's a redeeming God. And it pleased the Lord to bruise His only begotten. That you might be reconciled to Him. So now this is the word of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. He did all the work to make it easy for you to be reconciled to Him. Let's bow our heads. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. 
For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.